The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. What's going on? We are finishing up our rankings week of the top five at each position with tight end, or as our guest Pat Fitzmorris called it before we started uh, recording, the glamour position. Uh, we, you know, we could have we could have given you kicker, I guess, but thank you for coming out to talk tight end, Pat. Welcome to the show. Adam, thanks for having me. Uh, great to be on with you and Dave, and, and good to know you guys don't hold grudges. I know my Wisconsin Badgers beat your Miami Hurricanes <laughs> in a couple of back-to-back bowl games a few years ago. Glad you guys have put aside any petty grievances and were kind enough to have me on. So. Yeah, notice that we haven't had anybody with an Ohio State background on the podcast in the last <laughs> 15 years, and it's rare when anybody from Florida State's school program comes on the show. So we can we can forgive Wisconsin for sure. <laughs> I always liked Wisconsin. I don't know why. Um, I just kind of Badger yeah. looks kind of like a badass. Oh, actually, funny story. I, I went to uh, that one bowl game. Actually, this was. I think they've beaten up Miami in like three bowl games in the last six years or something, right? Uh, I went to one of them, and we saw these Miami fans and these Wisconsin Wisconsin fans like getting into like a little verbal tiff before the game. And I, I, the Wisconsin fan said something, and the Miami fan goes, "What the hell is a badger anyway?" And we were like, "Oh my god, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he does not represent us. He does not represent us." Anyway, Pat is. I mean, not a- only is it a badger, which is a tough animal, but he's wearing a turtleneck and no pants. <laughs> like, that's, you got to have a lot of stones to do that. That is a gutsy sartorial choice, right there. Indeed. Oh, so you can follow Pat on Twitter at Fitz, F-I-T-Z underscore F-F. He is the host of the Fitz on Fantasy podcast. He's on Football Guys. He contributes to the footballgirl.com. And he is a terrific analyst. And he does not have Mark Andrews in his top five, right? Is that that's correct? That's correct. Just out. Okay. Just out. Now, is that a full PPR thing or is that in any format? That's any format. No real change in the top six with that. All right, so let's talk about that. First of all, Dave, where do you have Mark Andrews? Funny you bring it up because as I prep for this show today, I started doing research on Mark Andrews, and there's no question that he's a very good fantasy tight end. But I I found myself compelled to lean toward TJ Hawkinson in PPR because I think Hawkinson will have just a better chance to rack up targets and catches compared to Andrews. I think Andrews will be consistent over where he's been over the past couple of years. Maybe Pat will talk me out of that. But today I made the change. I put TJ Hawkinson at number four. I put Andrews at number five. So he is my number five tight end in PPR. I will still keep Andrews ahead of Hawkinson in half and non-PPR. Okay. And and Pat, you have Hawkinson, but you also have Pitts ahead of him, right? I do. Um, I, I think the Julio Jones trade kind of cleared the runway for us to see the potential upside with Pitts this year. Um, you know, and I'm I, I'm excited about Pitts. I understand a little bit of trepidation about having a rookie tight end in the top five. It's normally a position where it takes guys a year or two to get their sea uh, legs, so to speak. And there's just so much potential with Pitts. I mean, he's got a longer reach than Calvin Johnson, a bigger catch radius. Uh, you know, the the range of outcomes with him includes some of these high output wide receivers and clearing uh, Julio Jones out of that pass catching tree for the Falcons really, I think opens up the possibility that we could get, you know, a hundred or so targets from Pitts in year one. And, um, you know, based on everything we saw of him at Florida, like this guy could be pretty special, a chance that he winds up in the Evan 
Ingram category his first couple of years and sort of is a, an underachieving athletic tight ends. But um, yeah, the, the high end of the range of outcomes is pretty attractive. Yeah, Evan Ingram, his rookie season was 2017, and he had 64 catches, 722 yards, and six touchdowns, and that was a top-five finish as a rookie. But we want more than 722, and that was in 15 games. We want a better season than that from Pitts. So how do you square this incredible talent, great opportunity with the what you talked about, the Selex thing, of... This, it just doesn't happen for rookie tight ends. I mean, like I said, that was a top five finish, but it really wasn't a great season for Evan Ingram. Just it's not that hard sometimes to be tight end five. You know, how can Kyle Pitts overcome that history of tight ends really needing a year before they take off? Yeah, that's a good question. And I mean, I guess the way I square it, Adam, is that I'm really not drafting Pitts that often in the best balls I've been doing so far. He kind of falls outside of my buy zone. Um, I've noticed that people are pretty anxious to get him. I've seen him go as early as the fourth round in a 12 man basketball, which seems a little bit, a little bit rich to me. Um, you know, if, if we do get the top end of his range, we might be able to justify that at some point and say, Hey, we, we basically got Travis Kelsey at a discount, but you know, for, for him to reach that kind of ceiling in year one would be pretty extraordinary given the history of rookies at, at the position. Okay, I, I do want to focus a little bit more on Mark Andrews. So, so give me the case. Well, how do you feel about him? I mean, I guess having him at six, it's not like you don't, don't like him. But we're going to see him go fourth, you know, as tight end four in a lot of drafts, maybe tight end five, depending on how people feel about uh, Kyle Pitts, maybe tight end six. But, um, you know, give me, your, give me your thoughts on Mark Andrews and why you're a little lower on him than others. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's a, a pretty... I guess I would put him on a tier with Hawkinson and Pitts, um, just kind of at the bottom of the tier. One of the reasons I'm maybe a little further down or, or just slide him to the back of that tier is that uh, up here in Big Ten country, I am kind of a Rashad Bateman fan. Uh, I think that was a really significant addition to that offense. And Tylen Wallace is kind of a sneaky good rookie receiver prospect too. Last year was just really Marquise Brown is the only credible wide receiver weapon they had. And, uh, you know, I still think there is a possibility that Andrews leads that team in targets, but I think that possibility has shrunk a little bit with the addition of Bateman. All right, and Dave, give me your uh, your quick thoughts on, again, why, sum it up in 30 seconds, why Hawkinson moved ahead of Andrews in full PPR today and, and why still not Pitts. So I'll give you a minute now. <laughs> oh, I get a minute now. That's so now it's awesome. right. Hawkinson, Andrews, Pitts, and PPR? Uh, yeah, that's how I've got it right now. And and the reason why I'll put Pitts last is just because I don't want to race to draft somebody that might not hit the upside. Pat mentioned it. He's going in the fourth round in best ball. It, I know that there's going to be somebody in every draft that goes after him, and they just got to have Kyle Pitts, and they get too excited about it, and I think they just take him too soon. But if it's round, I, I like him, and I want to be that guy to a degree. I just won't be that guy where my hair is on fire over it, and I'm just going to like make a crazy reach for him. I like him in round six. I, I look at him as a wide receiver playing tight end, and we're just lucky enough to use him as a tight end. And I'm I'm happy to have him uh, as as a guy that could qualify for 800 yards and seven touchdowns as a rookie. That would blow away what Evan Ingram did. I think Mark Andrews is safe. We've seen now for the past couple of seasons, he's had about 23% of the target share in Baltimore. He's averaged right around six targets per game, gets a lot of good work in the red zone. Hawkinson, to me, we saw him make a jump from his first year to his second year where his his targets per game were up by like one and a half. His catch rate went up by over 10%. I think he takes another jump. I think the potential is there for him to take another jump. I think it helps that Jared Goff is the quarterback. Goff played timid. I don't think he's going to look downfield. Hawkinson has a chance to be the number one target in the Detroit offense. It's an offense that's going to be playing from behind a lot. It is also a horrible schedule. It's tough, but I think that Hawkinson will just have more opportunities. I think he's got the ceiling to have 125, 135 targets by the time this season's done and over with. And for a tight end to get that, you've got a chance to finish as a top three guy. And I, I don't think Andrews quite has that ceiling. And I think it's reasonable to believe that Hawkinson can get close to that type of target share. He had over 100 targets last year.
Uh, I'm going to come back to the Hawkinson-Andrews debate. Let me promote something real quick here. If you hadn't heard yet, we are giving away spots to this year's Scott Fishbowl League. All you have to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fantasyfootballtoday, and comment your Twitter handle on any of our videos this week. Remember to enter. All you have to do is subscribe to Fantasy Football Today on YouTube. Again, that's at youtube.com slash fantasyfootballtoday. You can probably remember that. Comment your Twitter handle on any of this week's videos Good luck, and we are going to announce the winners next week. That's a way to get into the Scott Fishbowl. I'm also going to announce that we are going to talk pizza a little bit later as these two dudes, Chicago guys, already were talking about their favorite Chicago-style pizza. (laughs) It's really just an insult as a New Yorker over here to even think about Chicago-style pizza, but fine, I'll play along. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk about their big casseroles that they call pizzas, and we can have that discussion a little bit later. Um, All right, so... I promised the people on Twitter I was going to make the case for Travis Kelsey third overall in full PPR. And like four people responded, so I owe it to them to make this case. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have a lot of reasons why I think it's justifiable to take Travis Kelsey third overall in full PPR. He had, if he does what he did last year, I think he should be the third overall pick in PPR leagues. He was uh, a top four wide receiver last year. And if you just look at and that was in 15 games, by the way. If you just look at um, 300 fantasy points, he has scored in 2018, like 297 fantasy points in PPR. This is on fftoday.com. And last year, it was like 315. If you just look at 300 fantasy points, how many wide receivers have scored 300 or more fantasy points in the last five seasons? Three, two, seven, one, and three. So you're talking about top five guy, maybe top three, maybe top four, if he can get to 300 fantasy points. How many running backs have done that um, in the last five seasons? PPR, 300 fantasy points. Three, three, five, five, three. So again, Travis Kelsey, two of the last three years, has basically been a 300 fantasy point guy. He came just short in 2018. 2019 wasn't a great year. It wasn't a great year for Mahomes. Mahomes got hurt. Tyreek Hill got hurt. The offense wasn't as good. But if you think that they are more like the 2018 and 2020 versions, then Travis Kelsey is probably a 300 fantasy point guy, if not more, in PPR. So if he gets that, I think he's worth the number three pick. Now, let's say he doesn't get that. Here's the other reason why I think he's worth the number one pick. In PPR, he's the number one tight end five years in a row. There are so many busts at running back. McCaffrey Barkley last year, right? I mean, Dalvin Cook has never played more than 14 games, and he left a lot of games with injuries last year. I'd take Cook over him. But um, my Saquon Barkley? Is he safe? I'm going to take Saquon Barkley over Kelsey. My point is he is as close to bust-proof as you can get in fantasy football. And you can still, I mean, look, you can still take kind of a zero RB approach, or you can still get a really good running back or two with your second and third round picks. Um, I think it actually makes sense because he's safe and because he's outstanding. And the twenty the 2019 season might be weighing it down because if he does what he did in 2019, then he's a horrible pick at third overall. But I think he's more like 2018 and 2020. And I think it's justifiable to take him there. Pat, am I crazy? I would say you are not crazy, Adam, <laughs> uh, with, with the ambiguity of the what to do at number three after the top two this year in, in one QB leagues, it's kind of an interesting dilemma. And I think Kelsey is a a viable option there. The reason maybe not to do it is that maybe we don't see him have the huge positional advantage, uh, give his fantasy managers the huge positional advantage he has in the past because, you know, Kittle played eight games last year. There was no Kyle Pitts who could potentially throw his hat into the ring as one of these elite tight ends. Um, you know, there might be a little more, there might be a step up from Hawkinson or Dallas Goddard. We might see these guys sort of close the gap between Kelsey and the field. And uh, I guess the other thing to support what you're saying, Adam, is that we have said in the last couple of years, hey, maybe tight end is deep this year. Yeah. It hasn't been. So, <laughs> right. Never. Yep. I, I, I remember, I think I was listening to the 20. 20- 19 tight end preview and we were like 
this is the year of the tight end. And I feel like we say that a lot. It's never the year of the tight end. Dave, what do you think? Did we, did we say that it was the year of the tight end or that tight end was deep and no, that you could it, wait a little bit to get a, well, we, to pick up the position? Because those are two different things. One person on the show said, kind of jokingly, this is the year of the tight end. But um, okay. no, I think each of the last two years we've said tight end is deep and you can wait. We probably say that every year, but it's never really true. Uh, Dave, it's a little treacherous this year. Third overall, then. That, but Come there on. are some. Okay, listen. Third overall. Here's, here's what you're giving up by taking Travis Kelsey at number three overall. You're you're missing the chance to take a running back that's got a a decent shot at 2,000 total yards and probably more of a realistic shot at 1,500 total yards and double digit touchdowns. A lot of the running backs are going to catch passes that are in this range too. You know who I'm talking about. I'm yeah, talking but they're not going to catch as many as him. No, but they're still they can make up for that with total yardage, and because Travis Kelsey's not going to have boo when it comes to rushing, and there's also the chance that he could end up with eight or nine touchdowns, and the running backs that are going in this range could get well into twelve or thirteen. It's all the hope that you can get a running back that can get you fifteen hundred total yards, fifty total catches, twelve total touchdowns, and we can talk about position scarcity. Definitely exists at tight end. It exists at running back too. So that's what you're missing. You're also probably forfeiting the chance to get a tight end that's close to Kelsey in round two. And we've seen it in a lot of the mocks that we've done already this offseason that late round two is the perfect range to go after a Darren Waller or a George Kittle. Are they close to Kelsey, though? Because they last are not. Year... No, obviously not, because Kelsey has been the number one tight end in PPR five straight years, as you astutely pointed out. Right. However... You can get close to that. You can get That's the guy who was number two at tight end. There's <laughs> a guy said. who was number three in points per game at tight end last right. year at, at that at a spot around later and still get one of those running backs. So if, if you're worried about position scarcity, guess what? You can solve that problem in round two. And if you're worried about, uh, I'll just find a running back in round two. Well, the guys that are going to go in late round two, they definitely have the potential. I, we're talking about guys like Najee and Antonio Gibson. They've got potential to get you 1,500 total yards and 10 touchdowns. Can't take that away. 50 catches, too? Yeah. But I, I don't know if they've got the same type of upside that Kamara has, Saquon Barkley has. Um, who are some other guys? Derek no, Henry doesn't right. have a chance of getting 50 catches, but definitely getting 2,000 total yards. We saw that from him last year. You're right, but isn't Kelsey safer than Kamara? Is he safer than Kamara? I, I, I suppose he's safer than everybody. Like, you can even make the case, hey, he's safer than Christian McCaffrey because he's proven to be durable and he's proven to be effective. Yeah. All right, well, look, I made my case. You all, I, I didn't do it. I, well, I was a half PPR. Here, lead, here's the thing. I took if, you, if you truly feel that way, that you want to take Kelsey at three, do everything in your power to trade back to six. And yeah, you can still get point. Kelsey there because I don't think anybody's taking Kelsey three, four, five. Okay, a lot more tight end questions. So let's get into the rankings here, and let's just give our top three because it might not. I know who the three will be, but I don't know what the order will be. So Pat, kick it off. Give me your top three tight ends for twenty twenty one. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Darren Waller. And Dave, uh, I've got Waller ahead of Kittle. All right, so Pat, yeah, ADP has Waller ahead of Kittle. Dave has Waller ahead of Kittle. You are on a little bit of an island today, so make the case, Kittle over Waller. Yeah, I've been uh, tempted to move Waller ahead, but when I dug into it a little bit, I kind of decided to dig my heels in a little bit and keep Kittle at number two. Uh, I I think the perception, I I guess maybe three reasons why people like Waller a little more than Kittle. Uh, One, that the biggest one probably that no one is excited about drafting any Raider wide receiver, uh, you know, rugs, John Brown, uh, Brian Edwards, like there's some decent, uh, I, I guess they've sort of got a, uh, volume of like wide receiver four and wide receiver five types, but no one's excited about these guys. And people are very excited about Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. Um, I think maybe people also worry that it's going to be this transitional year at quarterback, for the 49ers and maybe that scares them a little bit that Trey Lance is going to be sort of an unknown as a rookie. Um, and, and maybe it scares them that Kittle has missed 10 games over the last two years. But uh, as far as the receiver thing, I mean, we've seen two really good years out of Darren Waller and three really good years out of George Kittle. And I believe Waller has averaged 8.2 targets a game over those two years, and Kittle has averaged 8.1. 
Um, with the Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk thing, they played four games together last year, albeit a small sample size. Kittle actually averaged 10 targets a game over those four games. And even if you take out a 15-target game he had in there, it still basically tracks with the, his three-year average at uh, you know a little over eight targets a game. And he's averaged a full yard per target more than Waller uh, over his last three seasons versus those two really good seasons for Waller. It is 10 yards per target for Kittle over that span, 8.9 for Waller. And that's pretty significant, I think. Um, I just don't see Kittle being target deprived as good as he is. And we saw kind of a real gadgety usage for Debo Samuel last year, just 2.2 yards for an average depth of target. So he's not, Kittle really isn't going to be competing with Debo for those downfield uh, high value targets Uh, with Ayuk maybe, but you know, I just don't see the the target competition at wide receiver as any reason to be lower on Kittle. And, uh, you know, he's just so extraordinary after the catch that I find it hard to, to drop him to number three. And look, I don't. I, I don't blame you or anybody that feels that way. And to take Kittle, who before last year, before he got hurt, there was no question he was the number two tight end in fantasy. And man, I was nervous about Waller. And and this was a year after, you know, we we found him in the scrap heap toward the end of drafts. But I, I think last year he kind of proved that he's just absolutely the alpha in that passing game in Las Vegas. Nine point one targets per game. That's awesome. I think he can match that again this year. I think it's just it's evident that he's the number one guy in this offense. He's going to get targets in short area, deeper, red zone, every way that you want it. That's the way you'll get it. And Waller will be the one who can be just a little bit more reliable in terms of targets. And it is an unknown factor for me when it comes to the 49ers offense. If Trey Lance is if, if Garoppolo is the quarterback, it's it's a much harder sell. But eventually it's going to be Trey Lance. Oh, see, I don't agree. Oh, you think it's going to be better with Lance than it will be for Garoppolo? I th- wait. Uh, maybe I do agree. I think Kittle will be better with Garoppolo than Lance. I agree. Okay, I'm I, sorry. I think I'm it's sorry. it's a harder sell for me to put Kittle behind Waller if Garoppolo is the quarterback. Like if Trey Lance decides, you know uh, what, I'm okay, going to sit okay, out this okay. year. Right. And right. it's going. We know for sure it's Jimmy Garoppolo for the six games that he's healthy for. Then yeah, then in those six games, I think Kittle will be great. I would I would be inclined to at least reconsider Kittle over Waller. Lance is a rusher. Lance likes to throw downfield. Lance is definitely inexperienced when it comes to playing at the NFL level. Lance is going to make some mistakes with the football. Lance will also handle some he'll, he'll call his own number when they're inside the 10. And that'll hurt Kittle who already doesn't get a ton of scoring opportunities as it is. And Waller does. So I'm okay. I'm okay going with Waller uh in in PPR for sure. Uh, as as the as the better bet in fantasy, so if I'm picking between those two in late round two, or if I'm blessed enough early round three, uh, I'm taking the Raider over the Niner. Okay, yeah, and I think I was just thrown off because you said you were so close to saying any way you want it, that's the way you need it. But you mm-hmm. said something like any way you want it, that's the way that's you get what, it. Yeah, I, I, I said something different because. <laughs> Because yeah. I did. Well, <laughs> I wish I had a better reason for why. We could have uh, we could have caddy shacked right there, but uh, well, we missed that opportunity. All right, so it's Kelsey Kittle Waller for Pat. It's Kelsey Waller and Kittle for Dave, and I'll get you to uh, run off the rest of your top five. Um, oh, why don't we, why don't we do that? Why don't we do our top? Why don't we do our top seven? Can we do that? Top We're seven. Changing the whole format right here mid show. Yeah, because I, I want to see if if Goddard's the top seven guy for for Pat. I know Pat's top six. I don't know his top seven. So, well, Dave, why don't you go first? Rank your top seven tight ends: Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, Hawkinson in PPR, Andrews in half and non PPR. Flip them for the respective formats. Pitts is my six, and that's where the the that second tier ends. Goddard is the next best available tight end as of now for me, but I am very open to changing it at seven. Okay, Pat, you're up. Top seven? Uh, Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, Hawkinson, Pitts, Andrews, Goddard. Okay, so it's the same seven. Who's your eight, Pat? Fans. I might be heading in that direction because I don't know how much longer I can love Irv Smith, who's currently my eight. 
but I don't love Noah Fant either. Like I, I love the, the, the athleticism, but I don't know if I love a lot of other things that have happened to him over the last two years or what I would expect this year, but we're, we're sticking with top seven, Adam. I'm sorry. I don't mean to derail. Yeah, no, that's okay. I mean, it's already a little derailed in that regard. Um, as we, uh, let's do a Hawkinson versus Andrews debate. Uh, actually, let's come back to that. Let me ask you this. Which tight end outside of the top three has the most upside? Dave? It's either Hawkinson or Pitts. Uh, I'll take the third-year tight end, Hawkinson. Okay. Uh, most upside outside the top three, Pat? Yeah, I'll say Pitts, just in case he turns out to be, uh, we get a little taste of that Calvin Johnson top end of his range. So It's funny you bring up Calvin. Because, and this is, again, something that I researched today. He's within an inch of Calvin Johnson. He's within six pounds of Calvin Johnson. He's eight hundredths of a second slower than Calvin Johnson in the 40. His hands are one and three-eighths inches larger than Calvin Johnson's hands. And that's one thing that I've always loved is big hands. You got big hands, you know, you can you can be on my fantasy team. And I wonder if that's, I, I, that's kind of who I see as like a slower version of Calvin Johnson. And I can start that at tight end. That's that's kind of hot. I I want to ask the okay now with the Hawkinson Andrews debate really, because Pat, when you were talking about Kittle versus Waller, one of the things you cited was yards per target, and I think yeah, you look at the stats and and Kittle, I think he's the best tight end in football all around. I think he's second best receiver behind Kelsey. Yeah, he's probably better than Waller. You know, yards per target would certainly um, would certainly indicate that. We have to say at this point, Mark Andrews is is a better player than Hawkinson, right? Just we were just ranking tight ends we want on our team. Wouldn't we have to give Andrews the edge there? I think so, based on what he's already done in the NFL. We do have to give him that. Yeah, I mean, because I, Hawkinson's I, yards per target, I mean, is really six point two as a rookie. Okay, whatever. Seven point two last year. Andrews has been eleven, eight point seven, and eight in three seasons. So. You know where I'm going with this. It's like you have to really feel like the role is so different between the two of them, I think, to put uh, to put Hawkinson ahead of Andrews, especially when like, I could see Goff is going to throw for more yards than Jackson. But is he going to throw for more touchdowns? Probably not. Uh, so, yeah, I, that's that's the, the issue. That's the trouble I have with this particular debate is like it feels like Mark Andrews is a lot better than Hawkinson or at least has been throughout their careers so far so that's that's where I'm at Pat you want to comment on that yeah that's a fair thought and maybe we're overestimating the gap between the Ravens receivers and the Lions receivers I mean may I know it's generally believed that the Lions have one of the worst wide receiver rooms in in the NFL but you know, even with the addition of, of Rashad Bateman, it's it's not like the Ravens are doing great at that position. So both of those guys do have a chance to finish as the, the top target guys on their team. I maybe like Hawkinson's chances a little bit better, but um, you make a, a very fair point on that, Adam. And I guess that's why I kind of have those two guys on a, a the same tier, really. Okay. No doubt they're close. Right. They both had... 6.3 targets per game last year. And Hawkinson is the one that made the big jump. He only had 4.9 targets as a rookie. Andrews, it's, it's been 6.3 to 6.5 each uh, from 2020 to 2019, basically. So kind of has been a steady Yeah, but that's not fair. Target you guy you have to look at, but you have to look at his target because he also made the jump as a rookie, right? He went from, from 50 targets to 98. Rookie. Sure, and you and you started to see that, like he was Mark, Mark, he was Mark Andrews. He is Mark Andrews. He was Lamar yes. Jackson's most reliable target when yeah. Jackson started playing as a rookie. So it, it only made sense that he would make that jump himself, but the targets didn't really go up with it. And now they're adding not just Rashad Bateman, but Sammy Watkins, and they unlocked Marquise Brown last year toward the end of last year, and I think Brown's going to have a pretty. Um, similar role to what he had in those last six overall. And there's talk about how the running game is going to get involved in the passing game or how the running backs are going to get involved in the passing game. Whereas Hawkinson, as, as Pat pointed out, is, is surrounded by a lot of mediocrity at wide receiver. No offense to a Munra St. Brown and Tyrell Williams and Kintez Cephas and, and everybody else in Detroit. Listen, and, and you never know who else they might add, but 
I, I, I think it is clear that Hawkinson has a chance to be the number one target getter in that offense. And as I said earlier, it, it could go north of 120 targets, which is pretty dang good for a tight end. Whereas Andrews, who's been close to 100 targets, but hasn't quite gotten there yet in, in a season, um, he, he obviously paced for it. Yeah, he, he missed a couple of games. That's the thing. Yeah, he paced for it. Two um, years in a row. I, I don't know if he gets, I don't know if he matches 6.3. With, with the additions that the Ravens made. How many more I, targets per game do you need from Hawkinson? Or how many more targets for a full season do you need from Hawkinson to put him ahead of Andrews? Because if you're talking, and that's, and if that's it's the 10 whole, or 15 targets, like, I don't know, is that enough? I think it's got to be in the neighborhood of, like, 25 to 25 plus targets, which I think is doable. And I think he, he could end up even blowing him out of the water. Like if Andrew's target volume goes down a little bit, say he only ends up with 85 targets, which isn't that unreasonable considering where he's been the past couple of seasons. And then Hawkinson ends up at 120. I keep going to that number. Uh, yeah, of course, that's definitely a plus in Hawkinson's favor. That That's I it for that's me. A, that's so, a good point. So, so here's the rule. Here's the rule. Mm-hmm. If, if you're like me and you think that there is this opportunity for TJ Hawkinson to, to pick up more volume in this ugly Lions offense, then you, you, have, you have to take him ahead of Andrews and PPR. And if you don't think so, then Andrews is your man. And they're going basically back-to-back looking at NFC drafts. Here's ADP right now, NFC drafts from— It's round six, I believe. It's beginning of round six, yeah. Uh, from June 1st to June 23rd, Kelsey's ninth, Waller's 24th, Kittle's 32nd overall. Pitts 53rd overall, so that's round five. There's that reach. Hawkinson 63rd and Andrews 65th. You know, like when we were doing these drafts with Heath, he would always take Andrews in, you know, the fourth round basically, but that's not where Andrews goes. He he and Hawkinson are back-to-back. Goddard, by the way, is almost 30 picks later, is 83rd. Oh, sorry, almost 20 picks later. Um. All right, so we before we take a break, which top three, which tight end outside the top three has the most downside? Pat, what would you say? Tight end outside the top three has the most downside. Can I say Fant at number eight? Um, like he's he has such a wide range of outcomes. I think just a phenomenal athlete, and uh, there are times when he just looks amazing, and you think that he's got top five potential, and there are other times where. Um, you know, my colleague at Football Guys, Matt Waldman, says that he sometimes struggles to do things, combinations of things like catch the ball and turn up field uh, that he kind of needs work on technique. And there's also uh, a pretty good tight end behind him, another really good athlete in uh, Albert Okue Boonham. So the return of Cortland Sutton. Uh, an anticipated jump forward for Jerry Judy, and barring a trade for Aaron Rodgers, another season of below-average quarterbacking. So uh, there are definitely pathways for Fant to be a, a pretty serious disappointment this year. And kudos to you for even trying to pronounce Alberto's last name. Uh, that was that was courageous. <laughs> uh, I have I a friend it... who uh, a, a big Missouri fan. If I didn't give it a shot, he would have been disappointed. <laughs> I think it's Okwu Abunam or Okwu Nebunam. I thought it was sure Okwu Abunam. I, I think it's Oku Abunam. Okay, yeah. well, Albert O works for me, guys. If we could sign <laughs> off on that. Uh, Dave, which tight end outside the top three has the most downside? I mean, honestly, you can make the case for for any of them. You can make the case for Goddard, who didn't even average six targets per game with Jalen Hurts and had a terrible target share from Hurts last year. Uh, I'll... I'll 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 try and talk it out with Irv Smith because I got to figure out really just where I come out on him. I've got less than a month to do it, so I better get started. But uh, you know, minimal targets like right around five per game in those four games without Kyle Rudolph last year. Tyler Conklin does figure to see an increased role. He's the one that'll play more. Irv was already playing a lot to begin with. It's an offense that's got a lot of great receivers and a great running back. And everybody knows that the defense is going to be better. So they might not be playing from behind or in high scoring competitive games quite as much as last year. And Kirk cousins has been pretty steady at being right around 90 to hundred targets per year to his tight ends. And when Rudolph was out last year, Conklin actually had one more target than Irv Smith. They could be closer to equal than any of us would care to admit. I love the talent for Irv Smith. I'm worried that we'd be overdrafting him if it's before round 10. I'll, I'll help you out if you want downside. The best season for a number three receiver, 
at any position with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota was 634 yards. That was mm-hmm. Kyle Rudolph in 2018. And I mean, that is one thing I consider here with Fant, with Smith, and even now with God. Well, now not with Goddard because I think Rager is no. But can they, you know, you want somebody... But you're a fan of Devontae Smith. Love Devontae Smith, yeah. Right, and I think he's going to hurt Goddard as well. He is, but I don't. But I think Goddard's the number two. I don't want the number three option. I want the number one or two, right? Kelsey's one. Uh, Waller's one. Kittle was one last year, when, as Pat pointed out, when everybody was healthy. Pitts is two, we figure. Um, Hawkinson is number one on his team. Andrews, probably number one. Uh Fant, no. Fant, I Fant think could be a number three. three. Right. Fant, three. Herb Smith, probably three. Right? Is it that simple? I mean, am I, simpl- uh, am I simplifying tight end a little bit too much? Well, look, I mean, think about what makes a tight end great in fantasy. And it's typically playing as the number one or number two receiver for that offense. I have a stat here. Hold on. Let me find it. Um, or just scoring a buttload of touchdowns. That That tends to help, too. Most most top top five tight ends have 100 targets. That's the stat. <laughs> most. I don't remember what it is, but it, like over the last several years, probably five years, almost all of them have had 100 targets. It's it's a good number to shoot for. And you might want to boost it up a little bit more um, this year with the 17 games. Pat, did I say anything that sounded uh, that needed to be corrected? No, I don't think so. And uh, it, it's interesting that... Uh, like I kind of feel the same about uh, same way Dave does on Irv Smith. I'm just really conflicted there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a good pass catching tight end prospect with draft pedigree and, you know, a, a goes to an offense with the skinny passing tree. Now that Kyle Rudolph is gone, but did it really matter? Does Tyler Conklin just replace Rudolph one for one? Uh, is it just a place where the tight end is, destined to not be a, a major factor. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of torn on Irv myself. You want to root for him because you know that the potential is there, the talent is there. But it's it's opportunity, not talent, that tends to get the job done in fantasy. Yes. Uh, the last seven seasons, the only tight end that finished in the top five in PPR with fewer than 95 targets was... Was it Andrews? It was Robert Tunyon. <laughs> he had 59, 59 targets and 11 touchdowns. A ridiculous season. So last seven years, he's the only one who finished in the top five in PPR with fewer than 95 targets. And most, only four, I think, had fewer than 100 targets. So uh, there's your stat. Hope that's helpful for you. We'll take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk about pizza and uh, hopefully, and you know, we have to talk about uh, some other guys who might sneak into the top five. Maybe looking at uh, the Rams. Maybe looking at Seattle. It's Pete Carroll talking up Gerald Everett. We'll be right back on Fantasy Football today. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back again joined by Pat Fitzmorris. And again, follow him at Fitz underscore FF. That's F-I-T-Z underscore F-F. So, yeah, you guys had a little Chicago pizza discussion. Lou Malnati's versus Giordano's. Break it down, Pat. Yeah, uh, my wife sides with Dave on this one. She's a Giordano's girl. To me, there's a little bit too much cheese on the Giordano's, and uh, I, I like the crust a little bit. They really do 
butter up that crust at Lou Malnati's. And I, you know, if you're going to dump a lot of butter into the crust, I, I can't argue with that really. But uh, I'll be honest with you though, Adam. I mean, I've got family in New York. My, yeah. my dad's half of the family is from there. And I, you know, I'm from Milwaukee originally. There's some great tavern style thin crust pizza in Chicago. And I feel like that's the kind of pizza that should be held up as the avatar of Chicago pizza and not the casserole like as right. you described the deep dish. <laughs> um, so, yeah, on a whole, I'm, I'm not really that big a deep dish guy. And, um, you know, I, I do agree that New York is the, the pizza capital of the world. Hey, wow. yes, clip wow. that. Sorry, Dave, I, I feel like I stabbed you in the back. <laughs> no problem. We all know you're from Milwaukee, not Chicago. So I'm not sure if it's, it's really a stab in the back against all that is holy in Chicagoland. Uh, no, nah, it looks, I, I, I just, I qualify them as different types of pizza. New York style pizza is different than Chicago style pizza is different from Detroit style and, you know, all the way to Arkansas style. Like it's all very different. Um, but I, I've always loved Giordano's. I grew up on it. Love that. It's, it's a little sloppy, right? When you cut it open, cheese does ooze everywhere. And there's a ton of this really hearty marinara sauce on top. The crust is great. Uh, the sausage sausage has always been consistently great from Giordano's and Lou's is just like a, a cleaner, more representative of a deep dish versus Giordano's, which is stuffed because they put so much cheese and, you know, toppings inside of the, the pizza. But yeah, if you're looking for something a little bit neater and certainly a little bit lighter on the calories, I mean, you're going to go to calorie hell either way. <laughs> Lou Malnati's is good. And Lou Malnati's does have a very good uh, tomato-y sauce that they put on the top of the pizza and their crust is pretty good as well. So I, I would say that Lou Malnati's might be maybe my second or third favorite Chicago style pizza, probably three. Um, but Giordano's is at the top. And, and I'm saying that while wearing a shirt of a different pizza place in Chicagoland right now. <laughs> because this, is, this isn't this is Aurelio's shirt. Aurelio's is a, is a better tavern style pizza. No, oh, you're thinking of Elio's, the frozen pizza. No, oh. Elio's is never going to make my top five of anything. <laughs> so, Pat, uh, what, are, what are your New York pizza spots? Oh, man, I've, I've not been there for a slice in a long time, Adam. And, uh, I can't even recall, but I just remember that there was so many, there were so many good neighborhood places. Like it seemed like on every corner, there was a place where you could go in and get an amazing slice. So, um, you know, unfortunately I can't run you run off a list of favorites, but, uh, man, it's hard to go wrong there. Yeah. It's all good. Unless you go to the touristy spots and I make fun of Heath cause Heath went to New York once had pizza, it wasn't very good, but he went to some touristy spot near Times Square, and I, I make fun of He's like Michael Scott standing in front of Sparrows being like, oh, this classic New York pizza, it's so good. But that's my fault. That wasn't Heath's fault. Well, I still make fun of Heath for it, but thank, so thank you, Dave. But that was the experience that Heath had, is that it was pouring rain, we're looking for a pizza place, we duck into just a random one in Times Square, and it's just the worst representation of pizza, New York style or anywhere on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Was, Times Square has horrible food. It's a right, cool place, it's, you know, but don't eat there. Trap places. I'm dying to get back to the city. I just, I wanted to go last weekend for my birthday. We couldn't get to it. I'm dying to go to get back in there. Adam, in August we'll go. You, me, Frank Stample, Chris Towers, we'll meet up. I have to wait till August. Yep. Uh, I don't you know live there. You can out. go anytime. You can go tonight if you wanted to. I could. You're. I should go. I should go. Yeah. That's. Uh, I really, I want to see this. You know, it was, it's been a tough year. It was hit very hard. And I, I, I think it's back, you know, they say it's back. I want to see the energy, great energy in New York city. Good. L You're going this weekend. Yeah. All right, I'll try. I'm commanding you. All right. All right. Um, I want to let you know about, uh, what's on CBS sports HQ. Check it out. CBS sports HQ. It's always on. And it's the network to start, start your sports day at 8 a.m. Eastern with morning buzz. That's an hour of highlights news and all the days need to know. Come back or leave us on all day at 6 p.m where we break down all the night's action and release dozens of picks from the best analysts and cappers in the sports world. How do you watch HQ? It is so easy. Go to your Roku, your Apple TV, your Fire TV, really most connected TVs, and look for that CBS Sports app. Fire it up. Check out HQ, the only 24-7 free sports streaming network. Pat, are you a Bucks fan? I am a Bucks fan. Very excited about tonight's yes. game. Yeah, man. Uh, what a game Game 7 was. Mm -hmm. oh, amazing amazing and i was i was so sure it was gonna end in heartbreak and i i did think durant had hit the three-pointer to yeah stick the dagger in our, right. our, 
But uh, yeah, that that we came back and won that. And I'm saying we, I, I know I'm, you know, not the 13th man, uh, but yeah, it does feel that way. Considering I've been cheering for the team since, uh, you know, I was a kid. I think one of the last game sevens in a playoff series we won, I think was like beating the Sixers when I was in high school with like Dr. J. So, uh Wow. Jack yeah, our, Sigma our days. Game seven playoff history. Yeah, Jack Sigma, Sidney Moncrief, Terry Cummings, Paul Frank Bradley. Brukowski. Yes. Uh, well, Brukowski was a little later. Paul Mokeski. He was okay. our, uh, yes. our Polish center of, of choice in that <laughs> time. But, um, yeah, it's been a, a pretty tough run as a Milwaukee Bucks fan over the years. So maybe, maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel this year. Just maybe. That would be a really cool thing. I, I just can't even imagine if you were a diehard Bucks fan, what that journey is like, and then to see if they could win a championship. It would be probably pretty incredible. It would be pretty cool. Yeah, no good problem. luck, man. Good luck. It would be and, close to what it's like to be a New York Mets fan. I mean, the thing... <laughs> Which you know I, nothing about because you, like everybody else, you know, they went to the, with the Yankees. They went to the World York. Series like four or five years ago, though. You know, they went to the World Series in 2000. Yeah, um, I guess that's fair. Yeah. Uh, all right. Maybe anyway. not the best comparison, but. Uh, but I just, you know, look, the Mets are New York, you know, and it's, and you've got all these other, I, we, I guess if you grow up in Milwaukee, you probably have a lot of sports teams you root for, but you do have a lot of other teams to root for, but I don't know. Nobody, nobody pays attention to the Milwaukee Bucks. Good for them. Go Bucks. I'm all in. I uh, hate the Hawks too. All right. So anyway. <laughs> Especially who, after this year, the yeah. playoffs, right? Who can, Trey Young took the heart out of your chest it's ridiculous who can sneak into that top five who's got some sleeper appeal pat what do you think maybe tyler higby the the conditions seem to be right uh no more gerald everett uh i don't know if we're going to get any positional competition with johnny munt or bryson hopkins or uh jacob harris an intriguing prospect but probably a guy who's not ready to contribute as a rookie and we saw at the end of 2019 with no Gerald Everett's uh I think it was what 43 catches 522 yards two touchdowns over a five game run at the end of the season and uh we were kind of expecting big things from Higby last year and we basically got his five game numbers over a 16 game (laughs) season so uh you know maybe we we see something you know we're not going to see (laughs) <laughs> that five-game run prorated over 17 games this year. But maybe we can see something a little closer to 700 or 800 yards now that he is going to be the guy at tight end. Yeah, I'm nervous about Tyler Higby. And maybe part of it's just because I've got shell shock over having him ranked high last year. I thought that the end of last season was an indicator to, to at least Sean McVay using him a little bit more. Uh, it happened in one of the early games when he had three touchdowns. And then after that, he was an afterthought. And even though there's a pretty decent track record of Matthew Stafford leaning on his tight ends, can't help but think that Sean McVay is, is looking further downfield and knowing that he can rely on Woods and Cup. I think Cup rebounds this year. I think Woods has his best year yet. I think the deep ball receivers that they added could pitch in. They'll probably help Stafford more than they help fantasy teams outside of best ball. But I'm I'm nervous about Higby being a good red zone, a reliable, consistent red zone weapon for the Rams offense and achieving more than five targets per game. I don't know if he can do that. So I'm not quite on board the Higby bandwagon. Well, who would be your pick then? Who could sneak in? I like Jonu Smith and I like Adam Troutman. And Jonu uh, ranked pretty highly last year in terms of red zone targets and and red zone touchdowns inside the 10 targets, inside the 10 touchdowns, uh, along with other top tight ends. I, I Patriots made it pretty clear that they really wanted to have him. They put their money where their mouth was. And I think that they want to get back to having somebody at tight end that can provide some real mismatch issues. And I know that if Cam Newton's a quarterback, it's probably still going to be a very run-heavy offense, maybe a little less run-heavy if it's Mac Jones. And so we'll see if Mac can get there. But I, I think that they will manufacture targets for Janu Smith so that he's at least not crappy. Somewhere between five and six targets per game. Hopefully he scores every three games. Maybe he's got a chance to get you 50 yards in a week. But the upside could be there, especially if Cam ends up not being the starter, where Janu sees a lot more 
than what I, I've laid out in terms of targets and yards and scores more frequently and just kind of becomes a breakout tight end with the Patriots is basically their de facto number one receiver. Troutman will never be the number one receiver in New Orleans. There's a guy already there that's doing that name, Michael Thomas, but he could be the number two. I don't know who else is there. We've seen tight ends get an abundance of touchdowns the past two seasons in New Orleans, uh, 21 to the position in those last two years. We know that that offense does like to utilize a tight end in general, and Troutman is somebody that I know the coaching staff likes a lot. I thought he moved really well when he was running his routes last year, and I think he's tough to take down because he's such a big dude. So that's somebody that I'm targeting toward the end, probably a little bit closer than round 12, probably like round nine, round 10. While a lot of people might reach for Kyle Pitts, I might find myself reaching for Troutman. And if I whiff on the top six tight ends in my fantasy drafts, my de facto backup plan is to get Janu and Troutman, where the capital on draft day won't cost me that much. And I can hope that one, if not both of them can pay off. Okay. Yeah, can I ask if your your Troutman interest is contingent upon Jameis Winston being named the starting quarterback? It would be better if it's Jameis at quarterback. But I I and I and I think it's gonna end up being Taysom Hill, just the more that I think about it, the longer that he was there. Um, and I think just he's gonna play no matter what, even if Jameis is the starter. Yes, it would be better because we've seen Jameis lean on tight ends in the past, but I I just think that they're they're gonna run out of guys to throw to. Thomas is gonna eventually the defenses are going to try and take Thomas away and they'll have some sort of a plan to limit Camara. And so someone else is going to have to make plays in that offense. And I think Troutman is best suited for now to be that guy. Okay. So Dave likes <laughs> Troutman. And we're going to end the show on that note. Pat, thank you very much for coming on. Um, tell us all about, I already gave your Twitter handle and all that, but tell us about your podcast and where we can read your material. Yeah, Adam and Dave, thank you so much for uh, having me on. It's been great to talk to you guys. Uh, people can find me at footballguys.com. Uh, my rankings are always up at the footballgirl.com also. And uh, I do have a weekly podcast, Fits on Fantasy, that usually comes out uh, Tuesday mornings. And it was a pleasure having you on. Great insight. Go Bucks. Not so much Badgers, but Go Bucks. We'll stick with that. Thank you for backing up New York Pizza. Thanks for listening, everybody. we got a mailbag coming out tomorrow. Fantasy football at CBSI.com. And your Apple Podcast questions. We'll talk to you. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.